Hi. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Hey, um, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, like Barry said. (laughs) And I don't know about you, I love Christmas. I love Christmas, you know, chestnuts roasting on an open fire, duck on the platform offering you some pros, you know, things, oh, come on. Now, I've been working on that all week. (laughs) All righty, whatever. Okay, so anyways... Those chocolates in the foyer, that is awesome. Stop by, as a family, pick up one of those tins of chocolates and take it to a neighbor. Just maybe that family that you invited over for the barbecue and or uh, another friend, another neighbor, somebody that God's laying on your heart. Give that out to somebody. Invite them out to the, to the Christmas Eve service and, and let's just see what God can do with some chocolates. And that'll be just so cool. Uh, so don't, don't miss out on that. And thanks again for helping us out uh, with the, the hampers as a church. You know, we just as we take that on, um, it's so cool to have an opportunity to, to build into our community at Christmas. And so these are some of the things that I just love about Christmas. And so I hope you're excited too. Is we're in week two of a series that's all based on the account of the Magi in Matthew chapter 2, verses 10 to 12. And there we see that the Magi demonstrated for us four distinct reactions to the coming of Christ. The coming of Christ elicited from the Magi four things that I think that we do well to emulate, that we do well to imitate today. We follow as we follow in their example. So that Matthew chapter 2, verses 10 to 12 say this, says this, When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Last week, we saw that the coming of Christ prompted in the Magi joy that they were filled with joy. This week, we see that the coming of Christ elicited from them their worship. In this context here, we understand worship as an expression of reverence and adoration of God. So when it says that the Magi worshipped, what it means is that they, had, they demonstrated an expression of reverence and adoration of God. And right there in that, before we move on, it's important for us to note the breadth of that definition. When it comes to worship, it involves anything that would be an expression of reverence or adoration of God. So we can worship God in our thoughts. 
We can worship Him with our words. We can worship Him in our actions. So it's not just our singing, but definitely includes our singing. So oftentimes today, we confine worship to this act of singing. Even corporate singing sometimes, that we go to church to worship, or what have you. Whereas we can be doing that at any time, and in a variety of different ways. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. For us to worship God, for us to express reverence and adoration for Him, that can only happen when we acknowledge Him as God. We can only worship God once we've acknowledged Him as God. So this morning, we see that the coming of Christ prompted in the Magi to acknowledge God and then to offer Him their worship. And I would contend it should do the same for us today. Let's pray. Father, this morning, as we come towards Christmas and as we have an opportunity today to look back at the Magi and what they demonstrate for us at Christmas, as we just consider their response to the coming of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see through their eyes, that we would take their testimony, that we would apply it to ourselves. And Lord, that we would find reason as well to do as they did, that we would be filled with joy and that we would come and worship you, acknowledging who you are. And so to that end, this morning, would you come and speak to us? Would you be with each one here? Would you cut through all of the challenges that distract us from you this morning? Our busyness, our preoccupation with other problems, other situations, difficulties, what have you in our lives that just have us focused elsewhere. Would you just speak right into our hearts today? That as we sit here and as we think about you, that we would know you differently as you speak to us. So Lord, help us to draw near so that you can draw near to us in return. We pray these things now in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Specifically this morning, Matthew 2.11a says this, On coming to the house, they, the Magi, saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Now this is one of these topics where, you know, as we're setting out to kind of plot out our speaking schedule and, and so on and so forth, the different series that we're going to tackle and so on, you look at it and you say, this is awesome. I, I really like this. You know, so we started off with, oh, we're going to talk about that they were filled with joy, and that's excellent. And then now we're going to talk about the fact that they worship God, and well, that's categorically perfect. You know, can't argue with that. It's like motherhood and apple pie. But when you get there, when you actually sit down, like I had to do this week, and start to figure out, well, what am I going to talk about when it comes to worship? Well, it can be one of those ones that just makes your head hurt, right? Because it's such a huge topic. I, I get paralyzed trying to figure out how do you condense this down into 30 minutes. And so as I was kind of expressing some of my concern, my frustration with this 
crazy idea. Like, who's, who, who thought about this? Whose idea was it? And I think it actually was mine this time. And, and so on. Well, and how come I'm doing this one or what have you? I was just I was talking with Bruce, and, and the long and the short of it is, is Bruce said to me something to the, the effect of this. He said, the coming of Christ demands in each of us a decision. And at that point, all of a sudden, sort of things started to click. And I looked at that, and I said, yeah, now that I can work with. And so this morning, it's true. The coming of Jesus Christ demands from each of us a decision today. Who is this Jesus? Is he God? Will I acknowledge him as God? And if so, will I worship? Or do I reject him today? Who is this Jesus? Do I reject or do I worship? We've seen this from the very outset, from his very arrival. So let's go back just again to the beginning of Matthew chapter 2 and look once more. And we see this come into clear focus. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Then we jump to verse 12. It says, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, the Magi returned to their country by another route. And then verse 16, When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. From the beginning, from the Christ's initial arrival, he's demanded of us a decision. What am I going to do with this Jesus? And here we see if setting out to kill all the children two years old and under is any indication that Herod chose at that point to reject. That he looked at this Jesus born in Bethlehem and says, no, I do not acknowledge you as God. You are actually none of it. You're a threat and I'm going to eliminate you. Where's the Magi? Looked at this baby born in Bethlehem and said, this is God, and we have come to worship him. Now, as we noted last week, the Magi were already anticipating the Messiah. They had, they had come to that decision ahead of time. Something had happened in their world, whereby they recognized 
that this one born in Bethlehem was the Messiah. And what's more, they recognized who the Messiah was, what he represented, what his significance was all about. So they understood that this star that had appeared wasn't just some celestial abnormality, some anomaly, some sort of atmospheric event, but rather that it signified the birth of God come into our world. And as a result of that, they came to worship. Their decision was to acknowledge Him and come and worship. And this morning, while you and I don't have a star today, and most of us haven't had some form of supernatural experience demonstrating that this is God come to us. We too, you and I as well, can be every bit as much convinced as the Magi were of who this Jesus is. And we can choose to worship. That there's rationale, that there's reason, that there's evidence that stands up, that we're not making some sort of wild, crazy assumption. That we can actually know in our heart of hearts that this is God, and we can choose to worship Him. So this morning, what I thought we would do is, today we would take a look at three instances, three instances in the life of Christ, of Christ that help us to recognize do the math on who this baby was, who this Jesus is. Namely, that he's God himself come into our world to save us. And therefore, that he's worthy of our faith and worship today. That this is actually, this baby in the manger is actually God Almighty the creator of heaven and earth, the creator of you and me, come to us to demonstrate to us, to show us, to accomplish for us the opportunity to have a relationship with Him after we've been separated from Him by our sin. That He's not just some arbitrary figure, that He's not just someone coming demanding our attention and our respect and our worship, but rather that he's God coming, submitting himself into our world, condescending to our level, and then offering for us evidence so that we can understand who he is and choose then to know the creator of this world, our creator, God himself. In his book, the glory of Christ, R.C. Sproul refers to a Latin phrase, finitum non capex infinitum. Finitum non capex infinitum. The phrase conveys two ideas. The first is that the finite cannot understand the infinite. The finite can't understand the infinite. In other words, our human minds cannot fully comprehend God. That in our finiteness, we can't fully wrap our heads around God, who's infinite. But the phrase also 
refers to another idea, conveys a different thought. And that is that the finite cannot contain or eclipse the infinite. That the finite can't fully hide the infinite. And an example, a prime example, that Sproul points to in that thought, in that concept, is the incarnation of Christ. God being made into the flesh, being made fully human. That as he was made fully human, that his humanity could still not completely eclipse or hide his deity. So this morning, we're going to look at three examples. Now, there are a ton of examples of this happening. But I thought we would look at three examples over the course of Christ's life where we see his divinity, his deity, break through beyond his human form, demonstrating to you and I today that he's not just another man that he wasn't just a good teacher, that he wasn't just some sort of a moral leader, but that he's God himself come for us. So let's begin with the first. The first demonstration of his deity, which is his miracles. John 2, verses 1 to 11, are where we're going to focus this morning. And And the thing is, is that there is a number of miracles. We're not going to go through them all. You'll be happy to know that. We'd be here till Christmas if I tried to do that. We're just going to look at the first one. But in all of them, we see his deity shine through. Here, though, we read, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now this was a big thing. This was a big deal. As, as the hosts, you would, you would just hate for this to happen. So it was a problem. It was a challenge. And so Mary comes to Jesus and says, hey, they've run out of wine. Woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. And we could go into a whole bunch right there, but we don't have time today. But his mother, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to, his, to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn it knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. So Jesus changes this water into wine. And not just a little bit, 
between 120 and 180 gallons of it into wine. And then we read this in verse 11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. This morning I would submit to you that as we read and as we see Christ performing miracles, that we are seeing his divinity shine through, his deity shine through. It becomes on display for us to understand and recognize that this just wasn't a baby, that this wasn't just a guy, but this was God. And that as that happened, even for this first time, that this was the beginning for the disciples who came to believe in Him as well. That this initiated for Him, for them, their belief in Him. And so I believe it should for you and I too. The disciples are offering up their testimony for us today. Here in this example, John. That this Jesus did many miracles, signs and wonders. And that for you and I today, that we should come to the same conclusion that they did, that this is God. So oftentimes we, we read this, we hear of this, we talk about Christmas, we do Christmas. Whoops. Snowing. We go through the motions, but we don't do the math. This guy did miracles. This guy's different. This morning, who do you say he is? Do you acknowledge or do you reject? Second example this morning that I would offer to you is the transfiguration, which we read about in Matthew 17, verses 1 to 5. There it says this. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There, he was transfigured before them. Transfigured means that he changed form. This dude Changed, in different, him. transfigured. So, from human into something different, if you will. A different representation, just not just his body. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my Son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. One of, I think, three times that God actually speaks from heaven during the course of Christ's life. One day, Jesus says to 
Peter, James, and John, hey, come with me, boys. And they head up onto this mountain, Mount Heron, we think it was. And at the top of the mountain, all of a sudden, something happens supernatural. Christ's body is changed in front of them. And all of a sudden, he's talking with Moses and Elijah. And Peter and James and John are witnessing this. And then, on top of it, comes this cloud. And out of the cloud speaks God, saying, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now listen to what Peter had to say about years about that sometime later, some years later, after the fact, as he testifies to those he's writing to in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. So talking about this event, Peter says, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them, and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to Him from the majestic glory saying, This is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Peter was there. And he calls to his reader's attention then and us today that he was an eyewitness of this moment when the finite couldn't contain the infinity of God, the infiniteness of God, right in front of him. He offers it up to us today as his testimony. And he says, hey guys, recognize this, understand this today. This wasn't some cleverly created, concocted story that we've fabricated somehow so that we can dupe you and delude you into believing something that isn't true. This is just simply what I saw and what I witnessed. This is the real deal. I'm not dreaming this up. I'm just telling you what happened when I was there. Don't forget this. Don't overlook it. Keep this in mind always. This Jesus wasn't just another guy. And we need to go back and notice what Peter says in verse 14, just before he carries on into this testimony. He says this, well, verses 13 and 14. He says, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. 
Peter understood, he recognized, Jesus had told him that he was going to be killed for the faith, that he was going to be martyred in his faith. So this morning, as he offers us up this testimony, as he comes to us as a witness to what he has seen, he's not doing this on the basis of some jailhouse confession in order to avoid death. That's the way we understand these things today, don't we? We understand guys coming, testifying to something crazy in order to cut some sort of a deal to solve one of their own problems. But Peter, this is not the case at all for Peter. As a matter of fact, Peter offers this up understanding, knowing that because he's testifying to who Jesus Christ is, that he's going to die for that. Not to escape it. He offers us up, it, up this testimony. He offers us up this testimony because he believes that it's true. And that he's willing to die for that. Because over the course of his time with Christ, he became convinced of who Jesus was, acknowledged him as God, and worshipped him. Offers up this testimony as an act of reverence, of worship to God today. Who do you say Jesus is this morning? Do you acknowledge him as God? Or do you reject? Lastly, let's look at the resurrection. Here we're going to look at John 20, verses 24 to 29. This is after Christ has been resurrected and he appears to Thomas. He says this, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, was one of the twelve, one of the disciples. One of the, uh, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So Jesus had appeared to them earlier, but Thomas wasn't there. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus appears to Thomas, who even at this point, after he'd seen Christ do the miracles, after he had seen or heard about the transfiguration from Peter, James, and John, 
after he had heard about the resurrection. He was still doubting. He was still not convinced and said, I've got, I've got to put my hands, my fingers in his holes before I'm going to buy in. And so Christ appears to him and allows him to do just that. And at that point then, Thomas said, my Lord and my God. He came to the point too where he believed and he offers for us this testimony again today. This morning, you and I are in the category of those who are not able to see. We haven't been able to see for ourselves. We, didn't, we haven't been able to see Christ's hands. We haven't been able to see his side. We haven't seen the holes. We haven't touched him. But we have here the testimony of those that did. John 20, verse 31 says, John, as he's wrapping up, says this, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John offers this testimony again for us and says, you weren't here to see it. But this is written now. This is written for you that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Come to us at Christmas in Bethlehem to seek and to save those who are lost so that we can find life in his name. Since the beginning of time, God has been working to make it clear to us that he is here, that he loves us, that he came for us, and that he wants to save us from death and offer us life. So where are you at today? What is your decision? I hope that like the Magi, it will be to acknowledge him, to believe, and then to worship. Father, again this morning, Lord, we we thank you that you saw fit to come. God Almighty, down from heaven into our world, on a mission to save us. Lord, I pray today that we would see you for who you are, that we would come to understand you as our God and that we would respond to you, that we would acknowledge you and worship. So to that end, speak to us, be with us, help us to consider the evidence, to find you and what has been written so that in you we could have life. And we pray these things now, all in Christ's name and for his sake alone. Amen. Thanks for coming, everyone. Don't miss out on the hampers. Don't forget those. Get, grab one of those tins of chocolate and we'll see you next week. Bruce will be here talking about the third thing.
that the Magi show us.